0: In the early 20th century, there was a man named Fritz Kreisler. He was a world-famous violinist. He earned fame and fortune, but continuously would give his money away. Once, however, while traveling, he discovered an exquisite violin, and he just had to have it. But because of this practice of giving his money away, he was unable to buy it. So, that day instead of giving money away, he began saving his money up so that he might be able to return to the seller and offer the whole sale price. He did. But to his dismay, when he returned to the seller, it had been sold to a collector. And so Chrysler made his way to the new owner's home and he offered to buy the violin for the same asking price. Of course, the collector said, no, I'm afraid that's become my prized possession and I will not sell it." So Chrysler's dismay turned to disappointment, even dejection, and he was about to leave when instead he had an idea. He asked this collector who owned the violin as his prized possession, he said, could I play the instrument just once more before it is consigned to silence? Can I play the violin just once more? Permission was granted and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-stirring music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred. He said, I have no right to keep that violin to myself. It is yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let people hear it. This morning I want us to think about something so brilliant and so beautiful that we have no right to keep it to ourselves. But that we are called to take it into the world and let people hear it. We're continuing the series that we're calling On Mission. We're seeking to answer the question, what exactly are we doing here? What exactly uh, drew us out of our warm and comfortable homes this morning to be together? We're working through the mission statement of this congregation of Good Shepherd to invite all people to grow into a Christ-centered life in God's family. What does that mean? And so we're taking it one word at a time. Last week, we kicked off our series thinking about that great question Jesus asked his earliest disciples. And this morning, we're taking one word of our mission statement. We're going to think about inviting. That's it. And I want to pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 1. Let, us catch, let me catch you up. Uh, there's a man whose name is John the Baptist, and he's been baptizing people because that's his name. <laughs> And when he saw Jesus passing by, this is John 1.35, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. When, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him, and Jesus said, what do you want? Now, you heard this last week. This is where we left off. Right in the middle of a verse... With Jesus asking, What do you want? Or what do you seek? Or what are you looking for? And we thought together about how faith is a hungering and thirsting for God, even more about what we know and believe. And notice these disciples' response. What do they say? They they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? These disciples respond to Jesus' question with a question of their own. That word for staying can also be translated as remain or abide. It's a really important word in John's Gospel. 33 different times, John talks about what it means to stay with Jesus, to remain with Jesus, to abide in Jesus. We've heard one of the central passages a few moments ago from Marilyn. What does Jesus say? He says, remain in me as I remain in you. Remain in the vine. Remain in my love. Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, we want to remain with you. Psychologists would refer to this as a bid for connection. They want to connect with Jesus. And so that's what Jesus invites them into. Come, he replied, and you will see. You want to see where I'm staying? Let's go. So they went with him and they saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. John tells us it was about four in the afternoon. Thanks for that information, John. Not really sure why he told us that. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two. Remember that. Andrew's there, and there's two there. We'll come back to that. Um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ, the Anointed One. And he brought him... To Jesus Andrew's there and then he brings his brother Simon Jesus looked at him and he said Simon son of John you will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter it makes you wonder doesn't it what happened when they went with Jesus at 4 p.m. that afternoon what happened when they saw where he was staying where he abides where he remains John doesn't tell us he tells us it was four but he doesn't tell us anything about their conversation. What happened there? For Andrew to go from calling Jesus rabbi, teacher, to calling him the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. What must they have talked about for him to recognize and to realize who Jesus is? Now, notice, um, Simon Peter is a central figure in the Gospels, right? Um, He's vital to the growth of the early church. Remember, in Matthew 16, Jesus says to Simon Peter, "Uh, You are Peter, means rock. Uh, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So, without Peter, no church. But what about Andrew? What about Andrew? Do you remember him? He's listed in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts. Do you remember all the stuff Andrew did? He's there with Peter, the rock on whom the church will be built, but what does Andrew do? Does anybody remember? In all of those accounts, Andrew accomplishes three things, and you have heard all three of those things already this morning. Andrew does this. He abides with Jesus, and he tells Peter about Jesus, and he brings Peter to Jesus. That's it. That's all Andrew does. That's all we know about him. Without Peter, there is no church, right? You are Peter. On this rock, on you, I'm going to build my church. But watch this. Without Andrew, no Peter. What does Andrew do? Three things. He abides with Jesus, tells Peter about Jesus, brings Peter to Jesus. That's it. He's there for three years of his life with Jesus in his earthly ministry, and we know nothing else about him. See, who were the Andrews in your life? Was it a parent? Was it a friend? Was it a pastor? Who spent time with Jesus to tell you about Jesus and bring you to Jesus? I am fairly certain that all of us have had an Andrew in our lives. Whatever happened that that afternoon with Andrew and the other disciple when they went with Jesus, we do not know. But Andrew heard the sound of a violin that he could not keep. The sound of a violin that could not be consigned to silence. Let me finish the chapter, because I want us to see one more passage, one more thing, one more episode. The next day, following along, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, Jesus said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, And he told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law. We have no idea how Philip came to that realization, but he believes it. We found the one about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And (laughs) I love this. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth, Nathaniel asked? Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. What's he doing? Philip is quoting Jesus' best evangelism strategy. Did you notice that? What, what does Jesus say to the earliest disciples? You want to see where I'm staying? Eh, come and see. Philip says, Nathaniel, we found the one we've been waiting for. Well, Nazareth, eh, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel declared, "Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel." Jesus said, "You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that." He then added, "Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." Now, Jesus is really, really funny, um, but I'm not sure we caught the joke. Did anybody get it? There was a really good joke in there, but we probably missed it. You see. Back in Genesis chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, we meet a man named Jacob. Anybody remember Jacob? Jacob. Um, Jacob is at first devious. He is dishonest. He is deceitful. But he goes on to be the father of the nation of Israel. God chooses the most unlikely of characters, doesn't he? One night, Jacob has a dream where there's a ladder to the heavens. And angels are traveling up and down on this ladder, right? Right? So Jacob thinks, wow, this place must be really special for there to be a ladder up and down to heaven. So he names that place Bethel. It means God's house. He thinks God lives there in one particular place. So here's the joke. Um, I'm not sure it's going to make us laugh and roll around on the floor. But when (laughs) Nathanael makes fun of Jesus for being from Nazareth, Jesus says, oh, are you like another Jacob? That's why he says, here's someone in Israel with no deceit. He's he's saying, you're like another Jacob who thinks that God resides in some places, but not others. As if Nazareth is somehow less holy than Bethsaida. Jesus proves that he knows him, that somehow he makes this bold claim that he is the place. Jesus says, I am the place where God dwells on earth. I am the place where God dwells on earth even though you, Nathaniel, even though you would make fun of my hometown. I don't know about where you all are from, but I get my hometown made fun of from time to time, too. I know how it feels. (laughs) N.T. Wright explains it this way. He says, When you're with Jesus, it is as though you are in the house of God. You are in the temple itself with God's angels coming and going and God's own presence there beside you. That promise, of course, remains as true today as it was then. When you're with Jesus, you are in the presence of God. We, too, can stay with Jesus and abide in Jesus and remain in Jesus. But the road that each of us take to see the truth of Jesus is different for each of us. Notice the differences in just this chapter. We don't hear anything from Peter It's probably the only time in the New New Testament that Peter doesn't speak up somehow and make the story about him, right? He's always asking questions, causing problems, but Peter doesn't say anything. But Nathaniel gives us this incredibly negative reaction to Jesus. Nazareth? What good comes from Nazareth? Those with whom we come in contact today have their own objections to Jesus, don't they? Now, no one's probably making fun of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, but we know that the landscape of religious faith in America is changing and changing rapidly. The fastest growing religious affiliation in America today are the nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S. Around one out of every four of our neighbors no longer affiliate with any religious tradition especially younger people, who statistically have very little interest in organized religion. They have questions like Nathaniel. Objections, perhaps, to religious faith. And as a result of that shifting landscape, Americans are having less and less conversations about faith than ever before. Polls tell us that only about one in every two people would be open to coming to church if they're having problems in their life. About 50%. Trouble in their marriage, trouble with their kids, trouble fighting an addiction. Only about one in two people in America would stop by a church to see if it just might help. We're no longer the place where people are coming with their questions of faith, questions of spirituality, questions of how to live the best life. And let's be honest. Many of us had questions of faith like Nathaniel too, didn't we? Many of us had hurts and habits and hang-ups too, but then what happened? We met our Andrew, didn't we? We met our Andrew, uh, that parent or that friend or that spiritual leader. We met someone who spent time with Jesus to tell us about Jesus and to bring us to Jesus. Or maybe we met our Philip, someone who very simply invited us. Come and see. Come and see what it's like to be part of a church Come and see what it's like to be part of a life group. Come and see the changes in their lives after they had stayed with Jesus. You see, we were all allowed to belong before we believed. We were all allowed to belong before we believed and long before we behaved. Some of you still aren't behaving and you've been walking with Jesus for decades. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Dick Crow. We were allowed to belong long before we believed and long before we behaved. Half of Americans may not step foot in a church to hear about Jesus, but listen, friends, we are called to be with Jesus, to abide with Jesus, to remain in Jesus, so that we could tell others about Jesus and bring them to Jesus. Or or better yet, bring Jesus to them. Here's the point. If you only remember one thing from today's message, let it be the next five words. Our abiding prompts our inviting. When we abide with Jesus, we can be equipped to invite others to Jesus. Our abiding allows us to hear the beautiful and the brilliant sounds of that virtuoso on the violin. And we know we can't keep it to ourselves. Some symphonies, some songs are too good for only those in attendance to hear about. You've had this experience before, I'm sure. Some movie you attended, or some concert, or, you know, three years ago when we used to do those things, right? Um, some experience you've had, and, and, and then you couldn't stop telling everybody else about it. I had somebody raving to me years ago about how great this new soup was at Soup Plantation. And I thought, Wow. If we could be as excited about Jesus as the new tomato bisque at Sioux Plantation, (laughs) we'd have a different world. We're called to abide so that we can invite. There's a man named Leighton Ford he once described speaking at a Christian crusade in Nova Scotia. And Billy Graham was set to speak the next night, but he arrived a day early. And Billy Graham did stuff like this. I'm going to tell you a quick story. This is a true story. Billy Graham came to the crusade incognito. He had big, um, dark glasses and a hat on, and nobody knew he was Billy Graham, and he sat down next to a gentleman who was listening intently to Leighton Ford's presentation of the gospel. When Leighton Ford invited people to come forward to receive Christ, to commit their lives to Christ, um, Billy leaned over and did a little personal evangelism. Now, he doesn't know this guy at all, but he leaned over and he said, If you'd like to accept Christ, if you'd like to make a commitment to Jesus, I would be glad to walk down with you if you want to go and here's what the man said he said nah i think i'll just wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night (laughs) leighton ford's just the warm-up act right it's like john the baptist and jesus right how did john the baptist feel when when his two disciples left them to follow after jesus ford writes this he says in the minds of many people evangelism is the task of the big guns not the little shots how many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking that evangelism is the task of the big guns and not the little shots but who was your Andrew I'd be willing to bet your Andrew your Philip was not a big gun it was a little shot look at John 1 who led Peter to Christ it was Andrew if you came in here this morning and I handed you a a pop quiz and asked you to list the 12 disciples, how many of us would have even remembered Andrew's name? Andrew is a little shot. He is not a big gun. And those who led you to Jesus were probably little guns as well. That's all Andrew did throughout the Gospels. He abided with Jesus, told Peter about Jesus, brought Peter to Jesus. Our abiding prompts our inviting. And the mission of Good Shepherd is this. We are called to invite all people to grow into a Christ-centered life in God's family. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take it one word at a time. We're going to think about who your all people is. Who are the people in your networks and neighborhoods that you could invite? After that, we'll try to figure out what is it that we're inviting people into? What is a Christ-centered life? What, What is the role of the church? What is the purpose of God's family? Week after week after week. But for now... I want you to to know just this. God uses the little shots, not just the big guns. And we're increasingly living in an era where even if you wanted to bring someone to church so they could hear from the big gun of Good Shepherd, Pastor Brian, (laughs) even if, we've got about a one in two chance of them joining you. We're living in a post-church Post-Christian era. We have to admit this and recognize it. And, 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 and here's the good news about that. Look around. Go ahead. Look around. You can do it with a mask on. You can still see people. It's okay. <laughs> we may only have one big gun, but we've got a lot of little shots. Researchers tell us that there are um, a number of ways that people come to believe in Jesus now, and it's different than the way it used to be. It rarely happens like it did in John chapter 1 in one afternoon when two people follow Jesus at 4 o'clock, and then by the next day, they're like totally on board. Nowadays, learning to follow Jesus is different than it's ever been. There are five thresholds that researchers tell us that someone has to cross before they'll give their life to Jesus. The first threshold is from distrust to trust. Again, start with the bad news. A lot of people who aren't part of the church distrust the church, distrust Christians. So the first threshold is learning to trust a Christian. Learning to trust someone who has faith in Jesus. That's the first threshold. The second one is for that person to move from complacency about spiritual things to curiosity. To move from a complacency to, to curiosity about the person of Jesus. The third is being closed to change to being open to change. Willing to examine their personal life. What it might mean for them to follow Jesus. fourth threshold is from meandering spiritually to purposefully engaging. To purposefully seeking the good news of Jesus. And, and, and the last threshold is, is making that decision. Crossing that threshold of moving into the kingdom. Who do you know that doesn't yet trust a Christian? If you can't think of anybody, here's your first task this week. Quit hanging out with only Christians. (laughs) You see, we're really good at being a part of the church and getting in our holy huddles. But if our mission is to invite all people to grow into a Christ-centered life in God's family, we might have to make friends with people who don't yet believe the way we do. Who do you know that doesn't yet trust a Christian? Who do you know that might be moving from complacency to curiosity about Jesus? Who do you know that's asking deeply spiritual questions? Who do you know? Every day we encounter people at various thresholds of faith. Some of whom are like Nathaniel, which is okay because many of us were like Nathaniel too. Many of us, even those of us raised in the church, had a lot of questions, didn't we? Questions that needed to be answered. We needed an Andrew to walk alongside us. We needed a Philip to say, come and see. Every day we encounter people at various thresholds And if we're to live on mission for Jesus, we need to see what we're doing here in relationship to what we can do to point to God's kingdom out there. That our abiding might prompt our inviting. Right? We can go from thinking about the church as just those of us who are here or joining in online to thinking about the possibility and potential of the impact we could have. Think about it this way. let's imagine looking at our streaming numbers right now and looking at how many people are in the room here, how many people will be at our second service. Let's imagine that there's going to be 350 people today who are going to hear these words that I'm saying here in person, online, later on. Let's imagine 350 people. We can think about the church as those 350 people or we could think about all those interactions that we're going to have with people who are yet to know Jesus throughout our given week. Let's imagine that, I don't know, we'll interact with maybe 10 people this week, each of us, who don't yet know Jesus, who aren't yet committed to walking with him. And that goes from thinking about our impact as 350 of us to what? I'm not real good with math. 3,500? If we're to live on mission, we need to have a whole new math, don't we? Because each one of those interactions is what we see in John 1. It's a bid for connection. It's a yearning to hear the song of the violin. And we cannot keep it to ourselves. I told you at the outset of um, reading scripture this morning um, to pay attention, because Andrew went and followed Jesus, and the gospel writer John tells us there were two disciples that went with uh, Jesus that day. Do you remember that? And then he tells us about Andrew, and then he tells us what Andrew said to Simon, and then we hear about Philip and Nathaniel, but the, but the gospel writer John is, is trying to be sneaky. He tells us there were two, but only one of their names because he wants us to imagine what would we have done. This happens all the time in the gospels where they don't give us the whole information so that we can kind of read ourselves into the story. What would happen for you if at 4 p.m. on that afternoon, you too had walked with Jesus. You too had gone to see where He stays, where where He abides. You had remained with Him. It opens up a whole new kind of math to think about what could happen if we didn't only think about those of us who are gathered here, but the potential and the possibility of the impact we could have when we allow our abiding to prompt our inviting. And to humbly recognize those different thresholds that we may not be able to walk up to someone and tell them the Roman road and lead them to Jesus, shake their hand, and walk away. That many people in our world today have a lot of questions like Nathaniel did. But we can walk with them every step of the way. And so God, we pray a big prayer this morning that you would help us to have a whole new math. That we wouldn't only think about those of us who are here, about the people around that we like to see and the songs that we like to sing, but that you would allow us to see that our abiding can prompt our inviting. That we can be a people who live on mission. That we can allow each of those interactions to be a kind of bid for connection. To help those around us take that next step. Like Philip did for Nathaniel. Like Andrew did for Peter. Help us to follow after you. And we invite others very simply to come and see. God, receive our worship now as we sing in response to the good news that we have heard shared in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.